to it. Double hook, no attack. Here's the cross in front. There you go. A good-looking goal for Arizona State as you watched it just develop in front. And that was just a little reminder of the goal by Alexia Delgado in their most recent matchup versus the University of Washington. And, um, you know, just to before we even get kick it off, host Jerry Walker and Emma Perez are back for Inferno Soccer Insiders. And the first game of Washington State was canceled, but their game against the University of Washington continued on, and it was a 1-1 draw. So, Jerry, I mean, before we even kick it off and talk about the team, how are you doing and what's your reaction to it? I'm good. Uh, a bummer we didn't get to see the Washington State game on Friday, but a good entertaining game on Sunday against Washington and just some more ASU soccer. I had to talk about it again. And, you know, at the end of it, it was not it was not the result they wanted. And, you know, clearly, uh, obviously, the little disappointment by uh, coaches and the players, but they remain undefeated, you know, five wins season or just only one draw. So, when you look at the takeaways of this game, obviously it went to extra it went to extra time. There was no goal, so it was a long match. I mean, it was also 80 degrees. So I believe it was the hottest temperature that these players had to play in. So what's your just general takeaways from the game? I mean, coming off anytime you come off a big win again, as the Sun Devils did against USC, you tend to see a little possibly a little bit of a struggle in that first comeback. And I think we saw a little bit of a hangover from that game in the first half. It was seemed to be pretty evenly matched, 50-50 almost in the midfield mostly, but Washington probably had that slight advantage early on. And they capitalized early and got that first goal. ASU, as we you played that highlight earlier, Alexia Delgado got the equalizer. It was kind of just a back and forth game all the whole time. There was no team really gained can took control of it until maybe a little bit later. Yeah, you put it perfectly there. I think not either team truly dominated the match where we could say the Sun Devils, you know, just clearly deserved the win. It was an unfair match. Maybe they'll feel that they got they deserve more, obviously, because there was a few one-on-one -on -one chances that they could have converted. The same could be same uh, said about University of Washington. You know, there was moments in the games where it seemed like they had the better chances. So it, it seemed like it was more of like a 50-50 at times midfield battle and everything. But I think a huge aspect of the game was the early on where um, even after the games, uh, Coach Winkler talked about the sluggish start and he kind of attributed it to not only the in the weather, but also, you know, not be able to play Friday. So there were some aspects to it. So Jerry, my question about that then is for that, it was it seemed like they were very slow out of the gate. You know, um, University of Washington had the early possession, the early chances and Sun Devils attack was you know, here and there. Do you think that sluggish start was because of, the, you know, that 80 degree plus kind of temperature that they were not used to? Or do you think it was more, as you mentioned, the hangover of the last game or maybe a combination of both? I mean, I feel like it's possibly a little bit of a combination of both. I don't want to take anything away from the team. They had a great win against USC. And this is just from what I've experienced in the past on teams I've played with and teams I support. But even, I mean, it's hot. 88 degrees, I think it was at one point. By far the hottest we've seen it all year. We were sweating and just complaining about the heat even in the stands. Couldn't imagine it running back and forth for 100 and, what, 10 minutes, 115 minutes in the end. It was – so I do think the heat played a very big part of it. And I know that's typically an advantage we ASU uses because usually the season's in the fall and it's hundreds by then and through most of the first half of the season. 
So I think getting this heat might even be a benefit to ASU further down in the season as it does warm up a bit. Yeah, uh, I think you put it very well that it's going to benefit them not only for the future, but also looking forward to the fall season. I mean, they're going to be playing. Obviously, they're going to have the summer break. Then they're going we're going to they're going to be back for the fall season where it's going to be these kind of temperatures all the time. I mean, primary to this, it was mostly 7 p.m. kickoffs. I believe nearly all of them were 7 p.m. kickoffs, except for one or, or two of them. So that temperature effect, you know, whether you're the best athlete or not, it's going to hit you, especially when you, you haven't been used to it, you know, th throughout the season. So it's nothing to take away from that. But also, I think a huge aspect diving into, you know, the heat and everything, it, it led to kind of substitutions where you you had to bring in fresher legs and at that at moments and sometimes maybe when you bring on those fresher legs, the rhythm of necessarily maybe the tag or the defense gets disrupted a little bit. And, you know, in, in soccer as in general, if you disrupt your rhythm a little bit, you know, one injury or one red card or anything like that, it, it's going to be a huge. So I think it, it was a little bit of that. I'm not saying it was made uh, a, a big aspect of it because we didn't see them collapse or anything after substitution, but I, I think it's, it's fair to include that. But yeah, we did see two injuries though as well. We did see Vildan Cardesler and Isabel de Hockeys go down, and I don't, I'm not, I haven't seen any update on that. If you have, I speak up on that. But the heat may have even played a part in that. You're just hot. Your body's putting out more, and it's a little bit more stressful on the whole body. So the things that typically wouldn't hurt you might cause a little bit more of an injury and cause a little bit more damage. Do you think that? Just a question for you. Do you think the heat? is something that Graham and the coaching staff thinks about ahead of the time and that you're like, Oh, we see this is going to be, it's going to be hot and maybe not as much for the spring, but for the fall season as something they can use it to their advantage. I, I think you, I would like to believe that they do because um, I think uh, coach Winkworth and his staff are very prepared for most situations, you know, earlier, you know, the season, he mentioned how that, prepared they were for uh, set pieces after last year and how different it looks. So I think that aspect of it is huge because um, you're in Arizona. That's the one thing that you, these players got to be used to and be prepared for is the heat. I mean, it's not like we're in Colorado necessarily or another state where they can get used to the cold and things like that. Arizona is known for its dry heat, what it can do. I mean, you, for example, the Phoenix rising, I mean, right now they're in preseason. What they're doing is also getting prepared for the heat as well. So I think in that aspect, if you're if you're a college team in Arizona, like even even just use women's soccer, if you're if you're a college uh, women's soccer team, you got to be prepared for that, and that's gonna be part of your aspects and getting those players used to, especially the newcomers. You know, someone like Nicole Douglas may be used to uh, having played, so, you know, in her junior year. Obviously, she's already played a few games. The likes of Delgado, Eva Vanderson, and all them, but people like Lucy Johnson, Bill Cardessa, they they're used to a different uh, atmosphere of playing, so. Uh, maybe that affects uh, them more than anything. So, I mean, that's the way I like it. I don't know if you see it differently. No, I see it pretty much the same way that you explained perfectly there. But, um, you know, one thing you mentioned, like you said, was the injuries. And um, I think a part of, part of it could have been the heat, but I think a huge aspect of it was the physicality part of the game. And it seemed this was maybe the most physical battle they've been part of with uh, University of Washington having seven fouls in Arizona State having 10 fouls, but it seemed like, uh, again, I'm not here to bash on a referee because I understand their job is hard and everything and, and how difficult it is to make calls and stuff like that. But it seemed like the referee kind of lost the control of the game by the first half. And the first yellow card, I think, came 
past the 70th minute to Coach Wink were complaining about how physical the game was. And because, you know, obviously, Isabel the Hawkins got injured after tackle and so did Bill Don. So, what, I mean, what do you take away from that aspect of the game, the physicality part where, I mean, it led to two injuries and there was, seemed like there was a lot of hard-hitting fouls that they were not given any yellow cards? Yeah, I mean, this was a physical game. And I believe Alexia Delgado in the post game said that this is something they're expecting to see in every Pac-12 game is more physicality. And it, as we've seen before, it is a good conference, high quality. So with that, as the talent gets better, the aggression also gets better. And I think this is by far the most physical game we've seen this year. I'm kind of surprised we didn't see more yellow cards. And the three we did one to Coach Winkworth and then two to players on the Washington side. Both of those for Washington were not even tackle related. It was they were yelling at the refs because of he called a foul the other way. So the fact that there wasn't any kind of pause in it, he didn't, the ref gives out a yellow card early in the match. The physicality kind of slows down a little bit. You don't see as hard of tackles and you don't see many as many cards later in the game. Kind of like, giving a warning that this won't be tolerated, put a stop to it. And if you do it again, you're, you're out of here sort of thing. That's a huge part of the referee's job, as you mentioned, is putting early on, you know, maybe you don't want to set out with the first yellow card in the first tackle. I mean, we rarely see that in any soccer game, but if you give a warning early on about a tackle and you follow up with the yellow card, the players will obviously know what, what the referee is calling and everything like that. But in, in this game, I mean, you can, uh, if you disagree with what I'm saying, then feel free to jump in. But in this game, it seemed like after the players kind of recognized that they could get away with more and that, you know, if they go in for a hard, fa uh, hard foul, maybe stop the play early on, you know, gets, you get a little chippy in it to stop it, they could get away with it. The referee's not going to call – maybe the referee will call a foul, but you're not going to get the yellow card and you're not going to put yourself and your team in, in trouble. So why not do those aspects? I mean, we see it, you know – in all levels of soccer. I mean, when, when there's a counterattack or a good attack happening, I mean, one of the defenders or midfielders is gonna take you down to stop the attack and stop, stop the rhythm of it. So I think those players saw that and were like, okay, I mean, we can be a little more physical, we can be a little more aggressive to the game so we can, we can stop those kind of attacks. So I think that was huge. Yeah, definitely. It's like you can, the ref isn't gonna stop you or penalize you for doing stuff. You can get away with that extra like elbow in the back, tug of the shirt go in a little harder on your tackles because you think or you at least think as a player that, oh, I can get away with this. It's not going to worry me. I'm not going to hurt my team in any way. And the best thing, I stop them from getting a chance. Like we saw in that Wolfsburg match last weekend, 90-something minute guy has a breakaway and he just comes out of nowhere and just slide tackles him. It was a red card because it was a blatant option. But even like letting, seeing stuff like that, just the physicality causes different options. Yeah, it, it it will lead to different reactions and like it gets the player's heads, like you mentioned, the little elbow as much as minor as it can be, it might not be the one that will injure you, but that will get into your head next time you're gonna go against that player. So they could take advantage of those aspects. And I, I know Jerry yourself uh, yourself in the in the stands sometimes say, you know, you gotta throw a little elbow, gotta get gotta get in their head a little bit to let them know that you're there. Mental game as much <laughs> as a physical game. That, that, that's the beauty of it. But when we look at the stat line, Jerry, I mean, ASU, we're just going to look at ASU and, you know, talk about what adjustments. A ASU had 18 shots, nine on goal. Casper came up with four saves. They had 10 fouls, as we talked about, it was a physical game, five corners, and the goal coming from Alexi Delgado in the midfield. 
what adjustments do they need to make? Like, you know, what were the positive and adjustments that they need to make heading into the Oregon series this weekend? I think one of the big issues I saw at least was just the one-on-one finishing situations. Like there were, this game easily could have ended four or five, one in favor of ASU, but there were a couple shots. I know Ava Van Dersen had one at the very end of regulation with a chance to win it that was blocked. I think right at the beginning of over in the first overtime, uh, there were two chances. I think Nicole Douglas played a through ball to Olive and then Olive had another chance as well. But just finishing those chances in, against a team like Oregon and Oregon State who have given up a lot of goals. Like the Oregon State goalie has allowed 12 goals in six games. You're going to need to take advantage of those shots and just keep doing what they're doing. As Coach Winkworth said it in the press conference after, it just wasn't their day. It was just one of those days that another day the ball will find, they'll both find the back of the net and the goals will be going in. This just didn't happen to be one of them. It's kind of tough bounce that those days come. And those days happen in soccer too, even the best. You know, we could easily go down any of the best players around the world and they'll have those days where, you know, things are not going in. And then there's days where their magical shots will go in and just the little things. So like you mentioned, I think that was very huge. I mean, there was various one-on-one chances and opportunities to put a, put away the game. And as Coach Wink would even mentioned before we even headed to the Pac-12, the key is taking advantage of those chances. We're not saying, you know, convert them, nearly all the time or all of that because that's obviously very hard and you know keepers and defenses and all that but you got to make those chances matter even more I mean because if you don't I mean those those big teams in the Pac-12 aren't going to take advantage or even even you know the teams that maybe are not as appreciated maybe the lower mediocre teams if you give them the chance to fight back in the game they'll they'll get their way they have their talent they have their individual players to get you in the game so that aspect is huge but I think something that uh, Coach Winkworth alluded to in the last match, you know, before the, uh, it was the USC match, is that um, uh, not giving as much chances up. Obviously, this Washington team got 16 shots. I know it packs a little bit extra time, obviously, adding on, but giving up those 16, uh, 16 chances, yes, some of them were well defended in those aspects, but giving a team a lot of chances to get into the game, I think is going to be, it's, it's deadly moving forward because a lot of those teams will start taking take advantage of that. And that game could easily become 3-0 really quick if you keep giving them the, those nice chances. So I think that aspect was something that maybe I, I would I would look to improve because I think Jerry made a great point of attack, but also I like to see the defense and, you know, limiting their chances. And this is something we've talked about in previous shows. And I think this is the, really the first time we've seen Cascapera truly get tested for the entire length of the game. So what do you think about her performance, considering all the shots she had to see and stop? Yeah, I think this, like you mentioned, it's the most active you got to be. And I think there's times, I think my biggest thing for her, and it's not, you know, I'm not uh, bashing her or anything like that. I think the biggest thing is the communication between the center backs and the goalkeeper at times. It seems like she seems a little hesitant to go out and they collide. There's there's a lot of times where there's collisions and sometimes they got saved off the line because a collision early on let the the goalie uh, uh, the goal open. And I believe Lucy Johnson and Carlier had a, had a chance to save off the line. So yeah. I think the, that, that aspect of being comfortable in your box, demanding when you're going to go out, but also communicating, I'm not going to go out. This is on you, Carlier, Darst, or whoever's in that defense line or whoever's helping back there to move. I think that's going to be the biggest aspect. But when it comes to saves, I mean, she's she's done what's, what's been asked of her. I think, um, yes, we'd love to see, obviously, if, you know, 
if she gets more tested, what would happen? But I think with the with the shots that were on goal and what was asked for, she came up pretty big. So I think, at least for me, that's what my takeaway. I don't know if you feel the same way about Cascaferis' performance so far. No, I feel I feel the same way. She's given up three goals this season in five matches. That's exactly what you want to see out of your goalie. But I, to the points you said, she did what she had to and got the draw in the end today or on Sunday. And let's hypothetically speak. Obviously, we're not going to speculate on the injury. We're not going to do that. But in a hypothetical that Isabel de Hockey's in the on can play. You know, we're kind of looking forward ahead. What would you do in their situation to fill their spots? Because obviously, Isabel de Hockey's played that center defensive um, center defensive midfield role for them. And we saw people like Jasmine come in to replace. And Bill Don plays more sort of, sort of that wing. We saw maybe Olive Jones at, at moments and, and, you know, Talia come in. So in the hypothetical that, you know, the Hockeys and Cardessler can't play, who would you put in the squad? I think you alluded to it, both of the people I was going to put in right there. We've seen Jasmine play in all the – all different positions. You've seen her go from center back, center mid, a forward, a striker, a winger, kind of playing everywhere. I think the strongest part of her game that I've at least seen has been that defensive sort of midfield role, playing almost in that as this almost a sweeper in a way, kind of stopping the balls, but still being able to play out and continue the progress moving forward. As far as the replacement for Ricard Essler is, I would say go back to what was working at the beginning of the season with that three of Olive Jones, Nicole Douglas, and Olivia Nguyen. Uh, we saw how well that worked out, uh, but it, there's options. There's so many different options. We saw them play a completely different front three in the last two matches now where they've subbed out. I think you were saying it was more of a physical, to bring in more physicality than it was pace. So I think along the lines of those, so just, just there's the options. They have options to think about. Yeah, it's not like they have no options on the bench or there's something to worry about. Obviously, we'd like to see the Hockeys and Cardessler obviously not be injured and play. But if, if they are if they are forced to miss some time, they they have depth in, in that bench. And I think Jasmine is one of those huge players because Coach Winkworth in the first four non-conference games kind of played around and see what, what aspect gets her the best because, you know, he loves the way she plays and, and wants her on the field. And I think this would be a great opportunity to do so because we've seen her – at center back, I believe we've seen her at, at center defensive mid. We've seen her at center mid. We've seen her at I even play striker at one point, kind of maybe a false nine, a, a little role where she came in and was physical. You know, winning headers. I, I think a huge aspect of her game that maybe it's not talked about is when when there's corners during the game or even crosses in. Jasmine Jasmine positioned herself well and gets headers on. It's just about finishing them. I think she's hit the post twice, if I'm not wrong, uh, off of corners. So I think that aspect of the game is huge. Yeah, didn't she have a chance against Washington that I think she hit the crossbar or it just went over? I believe it. Yeah, I believe it was a similar situation to that. Obviously, the game happened a little while ago, so maybe me and Jerry's memory of the game is not 100% as maybe the previous episodes. But yeah, I think that aspect would be huge. And then Jasmine, like you said, I think her best role would be in that defensive mindset. So I think she was up in there. As for the wing, I, I agree with you. I think Olive, but also um, Olive for what she's done in her, at work early on. But someone like Talia maybe deserves a little little bit of a chance too. Maybe you bring in Talia after Olive Jones and see what she can do. Because Talia, the thing I, uh, she does very well is not only uh, create a difference on the wing, but she can defend. Uh, she can drop back and defend very well. And Coach Winkler, uh, you know, emphasizes it's not only just the defense that has to work; it's defense from the uh, front to back. So. 
think that aspect is very huge. So maybe someone like Talia can come in and do that. You know, maybe subbed in like at the 30th minute and come in and make that ask, uh, make make that impact. But I think you are right that this front three will be Quinn, uh, Douglas, and um, all of Jones. But uh, before we move on to you know even these matchups and you know preview the Oregon the Oregon schools, we always do it. We always pick our one player that impresses us the most. Obviously, it was a draw, so I mean it's going to be. Not the, it's not the classic win and one first day. Now. It was a draw, so maybe it's going to be a little harder to pick. But uh, if you had to pick one, one of the players who stood out to you, who who would it be? Oh, I'm probably going to go with Carlier. I believe, it's, yeah, she seemed to have a good, solid performance in the back. They did allow the one goal, but that's not necessarily all on her. It's, all, it's a team game after all. She had a goal line save that was impressive. And her distribution this year from those long free kicks – has been almost spot on every time and is definitely causing more of those tr- or more trouble in the opposing box than they, we saw last year. So for those and a couple other reasons, I think she was probably the most impressive player to me on Sunday. That is a fair challenge. Now someone I was looking at, but uh, I'm not going to do it just for the bandwagon just because she got the goal. But I think this whole season, I think Alexa Delgado has held her possession very well. And uh, the, the thing that makes her so impactful is not only the way she can play while on the ball, get the great passes and, and everything like that, but she positions herself very well during attacks. I mean, um, there's times where me and you both talk about how there's maybe not as much people in the box, maybe they're trailing, but it seems like Alexi's the first midfielder to find herself in there and, you know, create more of a threat and things like that. And, I mean, on the goal itself, it was a cross into what is supposed to be win. It seemed like it touched when we had a debate. It was either the defender went touched it outside the box, and Alexi was right there at the right spot and uh, hit a very low, uh, hard shot to for the goal, and it ended up being a goal. So that's that's credit to Alexia making the right run at the right time, positioning herself and finishing it. I think that aspect is very huge. So I got to credit Alexia for my player. Yeah, totally. She's been solid. Definitely shown why she wears that captain's armband. Yeah, another yeah. solid performance. There's yeah. hard there's hard to go wrong this week. Now the team, another solid performance, and they're getting national recognition up to twenty-fourth in the top ranked polls. So that's the first time I think we've seen ASU ranked in our three years here. Yeah, I believe so. They might have been before maybe our freshman year for a little bit, but at least when it comes to uh according to the top drawer soccer, as you mentioned, how they're doing still rankings of not only just Pac twelve but all the conferences. So that's coming into consideration, and ASU found themselves at 24. So I think they're not only surprising Pac-12 coaches and all that, but they're also surprising the national level where, like, even heading into it, a lot of people didn't expect to see ASU even in it. So them to be at 24 is it, – it's a shock, I, I think, for a lot of people. So it, And it's well-deserved, and I think it credits to not only the, the Winkworth and staff, but also the players uh, who have been a huge role in aspect. So – but we're, you know, we're heading into this weekend. They're still undefeated, and now their next tag, it's their first road trip. You know, I, I know GCU was in a road game, but that was obviously it was more of a car drive, as uh, as I'll say. It's more of a nice little bus drive with the team. But this one is their uh, true first road trip, and it on Friday they'll face Oregon University, of Oregon, and then on Sunday they'll face Oregon State. And as you mentioned, they're the number twenty-four team now in the in the country. Oregon, Oregon State have it, are, are not ranked, um, and but they they the record also is not that great. But they beat in a school like Stanford, who's currently 
ranked 18th uh, currently according to top four. So what what's going to be the cute, uh, huge aspects in these games and uh, things that ASU needs to do to be successful against these teams? I think in terms of Oregon, they've had a pretty tough start to at least conference play. They've played their last four games against Stanford, Cal, and then the two LA schools, all of which are ranked in the top 20. So they're playing these high con- high competitive games against highly competitive teams just coming off the wrong side of it i think an issue they've had in the last three they're on a three-game losing streak and they haven't scored so i think if asu can get out early and get a goal in the first 25 30 minutes that'll be a lot to for oregon to have to overcome as they just haven't had that scoring prowess all season they only have four goals in the entire season so I think in terms of that, that's probably the biggest area I'm looking at. Exactly. It seems like they're not an offensive powerhouse. They're not, they don't have the talent necessarily as USC did and you beat them. So they're going against a school that maybe is not as talented attacking wise. So you got to take advantage of that. So that I think the defense has played a solid role so far and Casper probably got her most recent test. It seems like this one's not going to be as big of a test. So she should be able uh, that defense and Casper should be able to handle that. And it's all—it's only going to be about the attack and what they can create. Because as you mentioned, uh, they're on a losing streak right now, and in the last three games they've uh, conceded five goals in total. So this is one match where I believe you're—you're uh, you're going to be able to create chances. It's all about putting them away. You know those one-on-one chances we alluded to earlier. You need to be able to put those away. I mean, we need to see. A win who was off to a fire start and putting herself in the right position. We need to see her effective. Also, someone like Nicole Douglas, who defenses are paying more attention uh, to her and maybe marking her a little more and things like that. Maybe, maybe this is the game where she breaks out and shows the Pac-12 again who she is because it seems like after the non-conference play, she's been slowed down a little bit. But that's mainly because of, uh, I believe, great defense. So I think this this should be the front three show. And I think for me, I really want to see the Nicole Douglas show against this Oregon team that their defense is not not worse. They're they're not conceding a, a lot of goals, uh, like four four goals a game. But they're still not a great defensive unit necessarily. You face better defenses, in, in my opinion. So I think this should be all about the attack. Yeah, it's a perfect chance for Nicole Douglas to show us why she is the leading scorer in the Pac-12 so far this season. But I think I think looking at the Oregon State game. That one I am a little bit more concerned about. I think that's probably going to be the harder of the two, just because they have shown that they can score goals, but at the same time, they do concede quite a few. So it's kind of going to be that balance of, it could end up being a full-on like four to three match with highly high energy, just back and forth the whole 90 minutes. Uh, they just have such talented players there. Like Brianna McReynolds has four goals, two assists. Another player, Kayleen Fry, Freed. I don't want to pronounce that wrong. I might have. She has four assists. So their offense is producing, but defensively, their goalie, Bridget Skiba, has allowed 12 goals in six games, which is not at all what you're looking for. So it's another opportunity for the ASU attack to score a ton of goals. And But while at the same time, that defense is going to get tested, likely, by Oregon State. Yeah, exactly. Don't let it be a shootout, as you mentioned. You don't want... Because again, again, in the most recent game against uh, University of Washington, uh, they went off to a sluggish start. So in a school like Oregon State, as you mentioned, who was able to, you know, create and uh, has the more firepower uh, than Oregon, 
this is going to be the true test for defense. They're going to, this Oregon State school will take advantage of a slow start. Or if you collapse at the end, they can take advantage of that. So this has to be a full 90 minute effort where you're pushing through defensively, where not only the, the attack you're going to have to be creating, but the midfield is going to have to drop back and help out a little bit and then create those chances because we could, we saw so the Sun Devils are able to counter uh, well. They are able to create those chances. So I think that's going to be a huge aspect. And when you have the ball, be smart with it. They'll turn it over in, in the midfield or defensive end because someone like Oregon State can take advantage of that. But as you mentioned, I think the Oregon State matchup is truly the more – it's going to be the tougher matchup because they – against a UCLA school that's highly rated. Uh, they went to overtime and barely lost the game 2-1. And then against a school like USC, they, they lost by two, but the Stamp, they beat Stanford 2-1. to one. So it, it's clear that they're not afraid of facing someone who maybe is nationally ranked or maybe is getting attention, attention nationally. So again, and ASU, you just got your recognition nationally. So I think that's going to even be more, more motivation for them. Yeah, there's now a number at your name that teams are going to be chasing for to knock that and take it for themselves and one one more thing you alluded to that ucla game that was their last match out and they gave up a penalty kick in the last minute of overtime that's something that's going to be sitting in their back of their head that they're like just going to come out and want to prove that that was just a fluke and that they're going to contend the whole game and they're kind of maybe have maybe a little annoyed about it because you're so close to getting a draw against the number three team in the country just to have it slip away at the last second is is infuriating. Yeah, I mean, we get such a good team like them, and you yeah. lose by that. That's motivation. That's you know, in any level of soccer. If you're the underdog and you just lose by a penalty, I tell you this: the next time, next time, the next few games are going to be well motivated, and you're going to come out looking for revenge. I mean, it's not going to be against the same team, but still. And and again, as we both mentioned, they have a number next to the name, so that maybe that's even. UCLA had a number next to their names. Now ASU has that. So maybe that's the way that they show, hey, you know, we, we may be currently two and four, but we, we don't care about that number. We care all about game to game and what we can do. So I think that's going to be, that's that's going to be, I think, the hugest aspect of it is, 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 is that. And last time we kind of talked about the Washington schools, obviously we both mentioned how we, we saw – a win and a draw. Obviously, we didn't get to see the Washington State game because obviously due to coronavirus reasons and the safety that they had to pull out. And now, you know, they faced Washington and they got that draw. So when we look at these Oregon schools, and we meant, we talked about the players, we talked about the quality. Oregon State is currently two and four and Oregon's two, three and one. Um, obviously, and you're number 24 country. You, I think the uh, expectation is for them to win both. Do you think that's realistic that they should be able to come out in this in their first true road test of the year and come out with, with two wins? I do. I think that is a realistic opportunity and you're now a realistic goal and now you are the a ranked team. So you are expected to win every game against teams who aren't ranked. I think I personally think that we'll probably see a win and a draw. I feel confident about the game against Oregon. So I would say that'll be an ASU win. But I feel like Oregon State is just going to have too much of an attack and it's going to end up being like three all and just a draw that in that match. So you think it's going to be a little bit of a shootout in the sense of the last game where it's going to be coming down to. Okay, that's fair. I do feel I feel like it could be a shootout, but at the same time, I think ASU could win three to one. It's a solid defensive performance and getting the attack uh, going again. So I mean. Do you see them? I mean, you talk about it there. You can see it through one. Do you see them 
maybe collapsing in any of these games? Well, like, what what would be the biggest downfall for them in, in, in any of these games? I feel like Oregon's a, not a trap game, but I think that'd probably be more where they slip up. Uh, even though I feel that Oregon State's probably the better team, but it's just for that reason is that Oregon is – they're on a three-game losing streak. They haven't scored in three matches. They're playing another of their fifth straight ranked team at home. I could see that kind of being just a tricky game with it being, the like you mentioned earlier, the Sun Devils' first really true road test, which they wanted the away crowd that they did at GCU, which might even be to the advantage. But I think that Oregon game could be a little bit of a – tricky one but as you mentioned that gcu game they did end up winning the game and i think that was a hugely off the solo play by bill don cardessler and but that that game was it was kind of a panic it seemed that gcu game uh gcu game they they truly were tested the way atmosphere as you mentioned and they seemed like they were behind and it seemed like things were not going necessarily their way in the first half they adjusted the second half the long came up huge uh, toward the end and they were able to get that win but that was it was it was a big test yeah, and, and I'm, they pass it, but barely. You know, what were you gonna say? Well, I mean, I was gonna just add on to that. Like it was, we truly it was a come from behind performance on the road. And I think if they can continue that mentality and that mindset, if any time you see Arizona State on the schedule, you'll have you, you could you could should be worried. Uh, exactly. So you know, it's kind of to wrap it up. Um, both made great points here, but uh. What's the one player, you know, we talked about the one player that pressed, so what's the one player you want to see step up in, in the in the series, whether that be, you know, all the players we name or maybe someone we haven't talked about necessarily? I mean, we alluded, you alluded to it a little earlier. I want to see Nicole, du- it be the Nicole Douglas show this weekend. See her get back to scoring ways, didn't have any, didn't have any goals or anything against Washington. Washington State game obviously canceled, but she's been the centerpiece of this ASU attack that now might be without two key players in the hockey's and Cardessler. I think it's her time to shine and this is a very good opportunity for her. What about yeah. you? What, 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 who's your player? You think I'm a tie right now. So I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit and give you two, but uh, if it, if Olive is in that, so this is why uh, I'm doing two. If Olive is in the lineup and starting, I think she, she should show out. I mean, this is her time. She started early on. Bill Don kind of took over a little bit, but you know, Olive comes off the bench, but if you're in that starter role, Olive Jones, uh, take advantage of it. You know, show out and why you deserve to get more minutes necessarily. Show, uh, show that you're you're uh, you're a great part of the team and, and you know a great attacker that can create stuff for uh, Nicole Douglas because it seems like a lot of the attention of defenses is on Nicole. So you'll maybe have that one-on-one chance against a against a back. So you know, take uh, win the win that one-on-one and, and create a mismatch. You know, create a three-on-three where. I believe with the individual talent like Gwen and Nicole Douglas, they should be able to win that. So I think that's going to be huge. And someone also, you know, we talked about Alexi Delgado and what and how huge she is. I, I think her partner, Ava Bandersia, I think she's going to be huge. I mean, I think what, what Alexi uh, does very well, I think Ava can do very well. She creates a play. She creates opportunities. She drops back very well and helps on defense. But also, I, I want to see her, you know, move up, you know, with Alexia and uh, be more threatening in attack. I'm not saying that she hasn't been, but I think she. We need to see more people in the box at times because it seems like they like to cross from the wing. So, be be in there, be there for the rebound. You know, you never know because we saw the balls just fly everywhere and it scrambles up. So, 
We need someone like David Anderson who can finish. She has the ability to pass, but also can finish and put herself in the right position. So I think she's going to be huge. So I kind of gave you two. So it's a little cheating, but uh, I think Jerry approves. Oh, yeah. And I feel like both of them are both Olive and Ava are goal hungry after they had their chances that just slipped uh, this last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're both wanting and both pushing for it. So I think it's going to be exciting to watch moving forward. But, uh, you know, before we finish off, any any last things, you know, I mean, last time I know before you're disappointed in Sparky not showing up. I don't think Sparky's making the trip out there. So anything, anything to add on? Oh, it was awesome seeing fans in the stadium, finally. Uh, hopefully we get to see more. It's, what, three weeks until our next home game? But, yeah, it'd be great to see more fans in the crowd. It, it's kind of a sense of not normalcy, but a step in that same direction. I think yeah. that's, that's awesome to see. Yeah, so especially when we went to the GCU game where the student section was cheering the whole time. They were playing music and all that. It felt like a normal – our game so we kind of want that more with ASU I mean they're in a football stadium too where people can distance them, themselves well and just enjoy the atmosphere so I want that and what like, I'm under the understanding of is it's 25 percent capacity maybe imagine 25 half capacity or quarter capacity at Sun Devil Stadium for a soccer, for ASU soccer what a time that would be and it's a definitely a worth team coming out and watching this year undefeated and 24th in the country yeah, they've proven themselves. It's not like you don't have the motivation or you can't you can't blame it on the team. They've done all they can. They're five wins, one draw. So, I mean, if you have any excuses for that, then I don't, I don't know. And, it, and it's the beautiful game. What can we say? It's a beautiful game of soccer. Why, why don't you want to watch it? Yeah, and Sun Devil Stadium is probably closer to campus for students than the Sun Devil Soccer Stadium. So we should, I know Coach Winkworth said in his presser that he wants more to see more students come out in the future games. So why not? It's if it's a nice sunny day, go out, get some sun game will be over early enough that you can just enjoy the rest of your day. And yeah. And you get, to meet, Devil win. you get to meet the, the, the host of Inferno soccer insiders, Jerry, myself, most likely because we're nearly at every game. So we try to be at least. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I think we've only missed well maybe Tucson. I, Tucson next week. We're going down for that one, so that'll be fun. Exactly. I think maybe combined in our three years, we've only missed what maybe two or three. Yeah, home games. So, I mean, uh, if you want your chance to meet your Inferno Soccer Insider <laughs> host, yeah, you, know, you can see us at the home games there or at Tucson if you want to make the trip out there. I, I can tell you, we'll be out there too. We'll be there. <laughs> so you, we'll be part of. the well, obviously we won't be part of the way crowd because obviously we can't be as media, but uh, we'll, we'll be there to see. <laughs> but uh, that's going to wrap it up in what has been a great edition of the Inferno Soccer Insiders. Again, stay uh, stay tuned on InfernoInsult.com for the great coverage. I mean, Jerry Walker wrote the last game recap, and we have a great article by Addison Kalmbach talking about Amanda Green and her and what she had to deal with last season. So make sure to give that up. That, those are read for sure. That's and, another player we need to give a shout out to is Amanda Green for what she's gone through and getting her first start coming back off all of that. Great read, great story by Addison. You guys should all go and check that one out. Yep, and yeah, like you said, props to her and what she's done. Also, props to Addison for that story. I know he's the one created it. He he's the one who approached me about it. And I said go go for it. So, uh, props to that. Make sure to give that a read. And also, great video content always by Nick Zeller Singh on the website. Always doing recaps on it. And photo photo work too. So just you know, go on Inferno Insult. We got you, we got your covers that you need. So that's gonna do it for this episode of Inferno Soccer Insiders. We will see you next week.